Welcome to The Gallipod, with me, Gallipacidia. In this episode, I'm reading part two of my fic, Can I Tell You Something? If you're not here for dreary fanfic, you're in the wrong place. Content warning. This story deals with drug addiction, primarily with cocaine, MDMA, and alcohol. I hope you enjoy. Can I Tell You Something? Chapter four. At 26, Harry was made the youngest divisional head of Aurus since the 18th century. He walked out of the office that evening, feeling strangely blank. He did not apparate home. He simply wandered out of Wizarding London into Muggle London, letting his feet guide him. His mind was empty. There was no one to celebrate with. He would see Ron and Hermione on Tuesday for bagels. He would tell them then. They wouldn't be all that happy in any case. They had both developed an unnerving habit of becoming cautious when Harry brought up work, because they didn't want to get into another fight with him about it. He got on the tube. He got off the tube. He walked through a park. He got on a bus. He walked some more. Show starting in ten minutes, said an eager young boy, wearing a full face of makeup, pressing a flyer into Harry's hands. Harry nodded, and the boy ushered him into a nightclub. A gay nightclub, Harry guessed, judging by the clientele. The boy pointed up some stairs. Was it stripping? Was it gay stripping? It did, in fact, turn out to be gay stripping. It was a burlesque show. Harry sat at the back. He'd never seen burlesque before, but he had a feeling this particular show was not representative of the art form as a whole. It was wild. A woman came on in a swan costume and tore off all her feathers with her mouth. A fire dancer burned his paper costume to a crisp while it was still on his body. One act appeared to be a series of nightclub in-jokes that the crowded room all understood, but made no sense whatsoever to Harry. It was dark, and Harry felt pleasingly anonymous. Youths and non-youths, said the MC, who had found different inventive ways of avoiding saying ladies and gentlemen each time they came on the stage. I now present to you our headline act, the sublime, the sensual, Bellatrix Lestrange. The crowd erupted in cheers. Harry had misheard. He was quite sure he had misheard. A buzzing sense of anticipation had settled on the crowd, different from how it had been before every other act. Smoke curled out onto the stage. Eerie, otherworldly music began to play, and a black silk cloud took form. The black silk was thin and gently undulating. It reminded Harry horribly of Dementors, particularly when it became apparent that there was a person underneath, and that they were trying to get free with unpredictable fish-like movements. The entire thing looked as if it were taking place underwater, and the more the creature beneath the silk struggled to escape, the clearer its shape became. It was tall, seemed to have long, jointless fingers, half a foot each, and it was supremely, unutterably fluid. The music built, and suddenly one of those long, knife-like fingers ripped its way through the silk. It widened the tear, more and more fingers appearing, and Harry realised that they really were knives. Long, thin knives that had somehow been attached to smooth grey gloves, and then the creature tore free of the silk. Harry realised three things as the watery fabric pooled to the floor in dark folds. Number one, Draco Malfoy was a burlesque dancer now. Number two, Draco Malfoy was the most dizzyingly attractive person Harry had ever seen, and number three, Draco Malfoy was no longer hiding his scars. In fact, he had emphasised them. He had carved his face out with hyperfeminine makeup and slashed red lipstick over the top. He wore a costume that was more like armour than anything else, or skin, it seemed to be part of him. It made him look even more slender and elfish than he had been at 18 on MDMA at Zacharias Smith's country manor house party. 
The music changed, becoming fast and anxious. Draco dragged the tips of his knife fingers over the lipstick cuts on his face, and they began to drip. It was a clever, subtle piece of magic. He danced as if he were a creature from another planet. The crowd was spellbound, enthralled. Harry had the feeling that Draco could kill them all by simply continuing to dance until they starved to death. Draco tore off his costume like a dragon scratching off its skin. By the time he was nearly naked, it seemed less that he had revealed his body than that he had peeled his body off, unearthing something vulnerable and private beneath, something more tender than muscles and skin. He carved the knives up the horrible scars on his chest, over his dark mark, over the scars on his neck, on his face. He cut off his headdress. His waist-length silvery hair tumbled free, and he was the most strange, beautiful person Harry had ever seen, utterly baffling, impossible to understand or make sense of. A blinding spotlight fell on Draco as he cut away the final scraps of costume. He turned sharply backwards before anyone could see him fully naked. The stage went abruptly black, the music ended, and the crowd roared its approval. Most people had filtered away, but Draco still hadn't come out. Harry spotted the woman who had done the swan routine talking to the barman. Excuse me, he said. Do you know where I could find Draco? The woman smiled widely. Are you a friend? Yes, said Harry, without hesitation. That's wonderful. I'm Ursula. He never invites friends. He'll be so pleased. He's in the dressing room. I'll show you. The dressing room was awash with boobs. Harry turned his eyes away from one formidable set of breasts, only to be blinded by another. Draco, said Ursula, your friend was floundering around outside waiting for you. I don't have friends, said Draco's unmistakably drawling voice. Harry had forgotten just how posh it was. I have acolytes. Then Draco was standing in front of him, and all Harry could do was smile as if he had been invited and say, Hey, Harry? Draco was still wearing makeup, including the lipstick scars, but now he wore a floor-length green dress embroidered with dragons. His sleeves trailed to the floor. He half looked like a beautiful woman in her boudoir, half like an eccentric king in his dressing gown. The effect was confusing and sexual. Good show, said Harry. You saw? I just wandered in. Small world. Come to Mars with us, said Ursula. Sorry, said Harry. It's a tolerant late-night restaurant, said Draco. Yeah, come, said the fire dancer, and a few other distractingly naked people agreed. Draco was silent. Do you mind? Harry asked Draco. Do what you want, said Draco. So Harry went to Mars with a crowd of burlesque dancers and Draco Malfoy dressed as a woman. Draco sat a few seats down from him. His huge, false eyelashes fluttered demurely as he smiled at his food. He didn't speak much. Neither did Harry. How do you know Draco? asked Ursula. From school, said Harry. Oh, I can just imagine baby Draco. Harry didn't know how to answer that so he smiled awkwardly and ate a chip. Has he ever mentioned how he got his, um... He asked later, gesturing at his own face to demonstrate the scars. Ursula grinned. Hey, Draco, she shouted across the din. How did you get your scars? Not now, darling, I'm not in the mood, said Draco. A general rumble of discontent rose from the assembled burlesque dancers. Come on, said Ursula. Run out of ideas, have you? asked Mark, the fire dancer. Draco glared at Mark. Fine, he said. Are you all sitting comfortably? Everyone laughed, but to Harry's surprise they fell silent. Draco leant forward on his elbows. The year was 1996, 
he began in a rich, dramatic, melodious voice. New York. I was a cab driver. One of those famous 16-year-old New York cab drivers, remarked a woman wearing an enormous headdress featuring a yellow submarine, a small-scale model of Guantanamo Bay, and a sign that said, America sucks. Draco ignored her. A young man got into the back of my cab with a cat and a carrier. Sir, we're not allowed to transport animals, I said, for even then I was a professional. You don't understand, said the man. I'm taking him to the vet to be put down. He looked so distraught that my famously soft heart melted. He got inside, sealing my doom. Do you lie awake at night coming up with these? Asked a woman who was still only wearing nipple pasties, a thong, and a metric ton of body glitter. The rest of the table shushed her. Draco waited until silence had fallen before continuing. Once the cab was moving, to my great dismay, the young man opened the cat carrier. The cat leapt forth with vim and vigour, instantly penetrating the driver's cabin. He had long, cruel claws, and he was deranged. His eyes, I swear his eyes glowed red. He was the devil's envoy. Checks out, said Ursula. You'd probably sinned a bunch. The cat clawed at my face, my beautiful face, and far from helping, the young man spurred him on. Have your fun now, cat, he said. Go, cat, go. In vain did I writhe with the feline beast. He was too strong for me. My beauty was forever compromised. The world lost its second Helen of Troy. Draco paused dramatically. And that is the story of how I got my scars. Everyone at the table clapped. That was an okay one, mate, said Mark. But you've still never topped the magic wand fight in a bathroom story. And I never will, said Draco, returning with sudden fervour to his hamburger. Now fuck off with odd nosy questions, the lot of you. Chapter 5 I want to see you again, Harry told Draco as they paid up. I perform at the club once a month. Get coffee with me, said Harry. Draco gave him a measured look and nodded. I'm free this weekend, he said. Oh, said Harry, I can't this weekend. I'm going to Wales to investigate a murder. How the other half lives, said Draco. I could do Tuesday evening. I have plans, said Harry, automatically. Draco lifted one exaggerated, painted eyebrow. Sorry, said Harry. Work's been busy. Um, could you do February the 22nd at 7pm? That's in three weeks, said Draco. Yeah, said Harry. Draco looked extremely unimpressed. Fine, he said. We're going to my local coffee shop, around the corner from here. I'm not going anywhere near your part of town. Great, said Harry. Draco nodded solemnly and turned to leave. Wait, Draco paused. One thing, said Harry. Bellatrix Lestrange. Draco laughed. For a second, he sounded happy. Don't you think she'd be pleased? He shook his head, still laughing, and left. Dear Draco, I really, really liked your performance. You always were a bloody attention seeker, so it makes total sense, really. It was amazing. I want to see it again. I made divisional head. Remember I told you I'd put myself forward for that? I don't know if you read these. I guess I'll find out. But I felt a bit miserable when I got the note telling me I got it. Weird. You don't always have the reaction you think you'll have to good things. I'm nervous about seeing you. I don't see people often. Harry. Draco didn't answer, which confirmed Harry's theory that it had been years since Draco had actually read one of his letters. He was clearly living life as a muggle. It would be difficult for him to receive owls all the time. Relieved from thinking about the recipient of his letters as a real person who might judge him, Harry wrote several more, about how uncomfortable he felt in his new role, although he was sure he would get used to it soon. He wrote about work, mainly, 
although occasionally he also wrote about how it felt as if something was missing, and he didn't know what it was. Three weeks passed slowly, despite how busy he was. Draco leant against the wall of the coffee shop. His long blonde hair was half up in a little twisted bun. He had several cartilage piercings on one ear. He wore a studiously ratty, oversized jumper, black slacks, and brown oxfords that showed an expanse of white ankle. Without his makeup, he was lovelier than ever. The scars stood out starkly on his pale face. There were traces of leftover glitter on his cheekbones. Hey, said Harry. I don't want coffee, said Draco. Do you want coffee? Um, no. Let's go for a walk. Draco pushed away from the wall and took hold of Harry's arm. Mind if we operate? I hate walking in London. That's fine, said Harry, feeling a little dazed. Draco apparated them to a field with a small spring running through it, let go of Harry, and started walking. Harry took a second to orient himself, then raced to catch up. Congratulations on your promotion, said Draco. That's a huge achievement. You must be the youngest divisional head in centuries. You read my letters. Was I not supposed to? asked Draco, casting him a sideways glance. No, I mean, yes, I mean, you never answered, so I thought. I think of them as a sort of personal, bi-monthly Harry Potter-themed newspaper, said Draco. You're the only person I talk to, blurted Harry. Draco kept his eyes on the ground in front of him. You don't know me, Harry. Harry didn't know how to respond to that. They had scarcely talked since the era when they had fought on opposite sides of a war. But Draco had looked after him when he was vulnerable. Draco had fallen in love with someone Harry knew to be decent and kind. Draco had read hundreds of Harry's letters and never once used them against him. Harry felt as if he knew Draco through the gaps, through the silences. Shall I even the playing field? said Draco. I feel as if I know you. Shall I tell you a story? They didn't look at each other as they walked. Yeah, said Harry. Good idea. Draco didn't speak immediately. Out of the corner of his eye, Harry saw him tuck his silky hair behind his delicate pierced ears. When he spoke, it was in the same rather affected voice he had used to tell the cat story. London, he said. 2002. A cold evening. He glanced at Harry. A good storyteller sets the scene. I didn't say anything, said Harry. Our hero is 22, and on a pretty savage cocaine come down, the sort where you're sure people can smell it on you. He is carrying a bag he packed while he was still high that consequently contains very little of use. It's getting dark, and he doesn't know where he will sleep. He can't go home, because then he would have to tell his parents he's heartbroken over a boy. He couldn't keep it from them. It was hard enough the last time. Anyway, if he goes home, he'll get more coke. And although that feels like a brilliant idea just then, he wrote some words on his hands, words the last person who loved him told him. So whenever he catches sight of his own hands, he remembers that he's a coward and a paper-cutout sort of person, and that stops him from going back. Only he doesn't know how to go forward. Am I boring you? No, said Harry. Draco nodded and continued. But this is Britain, and accents matter. He waits until he hears someone walk by with the same one as him. It's two posh boys about his own age. They look as if they'll probably be called things like Milo and Archie. Our hero approaches them. Excuse me, he says. I need help. With a different voice, they would have ignored him, but he speaks like them, so they don't. Class is different among muggles, but privilege always recognises itself. What happened to you, mate? asked the one who looked like a Milo. I ran away from home, says our hero. I'm gay, he adds, because that might prove a deal-breaker. Oh, mate, that's awful, says the one who looks like an Archie. 
Not the puff thing. I mean, God, have you got anywhere to stay? Where did you go to school? In Scotland, says our hero evasively. I haven't got anywhere to stay. Fetties? It must have been Fetties. I'm Hugo, and this is Benny. Draco, says our hero. Am I boring you, Harry? So they just took you in? asked Harry. They did. Draco looked bitter as hell. That was nice of them, said Harry. They wouldn't have taken you in, said Draco. Money breeds money. I don't know what to make of it. Then, suddenly hissing, vitriolic. You should have fucking left me to burn. Harry knocked his hand into Draco's, not taking it, exactly, but allowing Draco to take his if he wanted. He didn't. When Draco spoke again, he was calm. Hugo's friend Clementine worked in an art gallery and gave our hero a job. It didn't pay well enough for him to live anywhere, but Hugo let him live with him for free. They fell in love and lived happily ever after. The end. Harry was quiet. Well, said Draco, his voice hard and cold, aren't you going to ask me for the rest? No, said Harry. Thank you for telling me that much. Draco laughed. You spent a whole year stalking me when we were sixteen, but you're just going to let this slide. That was ten years ago, said Harry, and I'm still kind of stalking you. How did you find me? It was an accident. I didn't come looking for you. I wouldn't have done that. I remember how it felt when people used to try and pry me out of Grimmauld Place. I'm not embarrassed about the burlesque dancing thing. I don't know why you would be. You're great at it. Draco laughed and bumped his shoulder against Harry's. You're the first person to think Bellatrix Lestrange is a funny burlesque name. So far it's been a personal joke, just for my pleasure. I couldn't believe my ears. Can you imagine what she would do if she was alive? Yes, said Draco, grimly. He absentmindedly traced the scar on his cheek. You look good, said Harry. Fuck off, said Draco, emptily. This, uh, this whole outfit thing works. Draco raised his eyebrows and looked at Harry. Aren't you just darling, he drawled. Fuck off, said Harry, and Draco laughed. So tell me about this Welsh murder, he said. It had been so long since anyone asked Harry about one of his cases. By the time Harry remembered he had only intended to stay out for an hour, it had been dark for ages. I have some suspect files to read, he said. I should go. Sounds to me as if you've already got the suspect. That farmer was sketchy as fuck. Yeah, I mean, it was probably him, but I've got to be sure. So dutiful. Well, let me know how it goes. Will you answer? asked Harry. If I write. No. Can we meet up again? asked Harry. I'm not the one with the packed schedule, Harry. I could do March 19th, said Harry. Draco huffed a small laugh. Perfect, he said. Harry left with the uncomfortable feeling that he had disappointed Draco somehow. He didn't mention that he'd seen Draco to Ron and Hermione. He rarely told them important things anymore. Draco stood outside the coffee shop on March 19th. His fingernails were painted green. St. Patrick's Day gig, he said, when he caught Harry looking. Walk? Sure, said Harry, and Draco apparated them to a pebble beach. It was cold. Why are you here, Harry? asked Draco. You apparated us. Is this Scotland? Don't do that. Harry sighed. They had started walking automatically. The nice thing about walking was that it made it easy not to look at Draco. Looking at Draco hurt for a variety of reasons, not least of which was the end of Draco's story, where he'd been in love with someone else. I think I'm lonely, said Harry. 
And for whatever reason, I've been spilling my soul out to you for years, and you've never turned on me when you must know how much a single letter would sell for. I have plenty of money, interjected Draco. I probably would have sold one, if I'd needed to. Oh, said Harry. The wind blew straight through his coat. He felt practically naked. There was a long silence. Harry didn't know how to break it. My parents found me, said Draco, as if he were answering a question. About six months after I ran. Harry glanced over and was surprised to see that Draco was smiling to himself. My father found me the same way you did. I saw him from the stage. He was sitting in the front row wearing... I mean, you know how he dresses. People thought he was an eccentric elderly gay man perving on the goods. I literally cannot imagine Lucius Malfoy at a burlesque show. Believe it. He comes quite often. What? Draco tugged on a strand of his hair. Turns out I rather underestimated him. Mother and father are fine with it. All of it. With me. They're fine with me. Your father supports your burlesque career? Asked Harry. It's not a career, Harry. It could be. You're brilliant. <laughs> That's what father says. Old habits die hard, I suppose. Who wants me to build some kind of muggle drag empire? But you don't want to, said Harry. I overheard Ursula worrying to Mark once, because she didn't have a blog and she felt bad about it. He told her she didn't have to... I think the phrase was, monetize her joy. How... how are you, Draco? asked Harry. Draco pulled his hands into the sleeves of his jumper. Does Michael ever ask about me? he asked, his voice thin. Harry's heart sank. I don't see him, he said. And then, because he was selfish, and because the fact had reassured some secret part of him when he had heard it, he said, He married Susan Bones. Draco laughed too loudly. That's great, he said. She's lovely. He must be... He must be really happy. You're not over him, said Harry. Maybe Harry would have written the letters to anyone. How could self-revelation make you like someone before you knew them? Wasn't Harry just in love with the idea of being listened to in the right way? Maybe Draco was nothing but a blank space for Harry to drape himself around. Except, Harry did know Draco. Draco had cried on a broomstick when he was 18, while talking about a dead house elf. Are you freezing? asked Draco. I'm freezing, let's go somewhere else. He didn't wait for Harry to answer. He took Harry's arm and apparated them to the top of a hill outside Edinburgh. This is shit, he said, the moment they'd arrived. And he apparated them to a purple moor of heather. I hate this, he said and took them to a deep blue lake. I hate it, he said. He wasn't crying, but his face was scrunched up as if he was. He apparated them to a meadow full of daffodils. I hate it, this is terrible. Draco, stop, said Harry. Draco let go of him and walked a few metres away. Harry approached him slowly. He didn't say anything. He just put one arm around Draco's shoulders and rested their heads together. Married, said Draco. About six months ago. Fuck, said Draco, his voice cracking. I'm sorry, said Harry. It's fine, said Draco. He took a shuddery breath. He deserves someone good. You're good, said Harry. You're so full of shit, Harry. Draco wiped vaguely at his face, although he hadn't actually shed any tears. I'm fine, honestly. It was a fucked up relationship anyway. I don't even remember most of it. And it's no fun loving someone who's ashamed of you. He wasn't ashamed of you, said Harry. 
Of course it was. I think your memories of that time might not be all that reliable. Do you still... No. I've been more or less sober for over three years. Congratulations, said Harry. Oh, God, don't. He broke away from Harry and sat down heavily among the daffodils. You're fucked up too, you know. I know, said Harry, sitting beside him. Don't you dare try to make me talk about it. I wouldn't, said Harry. Draco picked at the grass. I work at an art gallery, he said. You asked me once what I did for a living. I didn't have a job back then, just a death wish. Do you still have a death wish? Draco's jaw twitched, but he didn't answer. Harry stretched out his pinky finger so that it touched Draco's. He counted it a win that Draco didn't move his hand away. So, said Draco, when will I see you next? July? Or is that too soon? Have you room in your calendar for me before Christmas, do you think? Harry took a deep breath. How's Tuesday evening? Draco looked up. Really? Harry nodded. I can do Tuesday, said Draco. Chapter 6 What do you mean you can't do Tuesday? asked Ron. Something came up, said Harry. We see you twice a month and now you can't even manage that. Harry hated fire calling. His knees hurt. I'll make it up to you, he said. Ron scoffed. Sure, great, whatever. See you when you next have time, Harry. He shut off his flu, locking Harry out. Let me choose the place, said Harry to Draco that Tuesday, and Draco let him. Harry apparated them both to a wood he had camped in during the war. He had been too frightened back then to appreciate it. Where are we? asked Draco. I don't know, admitted Harry. I camped here during the war. Draco's face went taut. Ah, he said. I'm not going to... to ask you about it, but do you mind if... Forget it, said Harry. Draco's eyes were curious. Do I mind if... he asked. If I talk about it. Sometimes, like... If it comes up, said Harry. Draco shook his head. No, I don't mind. Cool, said Harry. Yeah, uh, good. So, how's work? Draco nodded slowly, his eyes still fixed on Harry's. Good, he said. Do you want me to ask you about it, Harry? No. Maybe, no, said Harry. Draco wandered a few trailing steps away. I bet you're good at camping, he said, and Harry knew exactly what he was doing. He wasn't quite asking. He was maybe asking. He was perfect. Ron was the worst, said Harry, because he was used to three square meals a day. What were you, on a diet? asked Draco. No, just, you know, mistreated as a child. Draco looked at him. Do you want me to ask about that? Harry shook his head. No, he said, forcefully. How did Granger fare? asked Draco, as if he hadn't just learned something appalling and shameful. The humidity must have ravaged her curls. She missed Ron, said Harry. He left. Harry nodded. Yeah, it was fucked up. He explained about the Horcrux, how bad-tempered they had been, how hopeless. They walked aimlessly as he talked, so he didn't have to look at Draco. But he came back, said Harry. So, that was what mattered. Redeemed himself, did he? said Draco. Completely, said Harry. Completely? I don't think that's possible, said Draco. And they weren't talking about Ron anymore. I forgave him, said Harry, carefully. 
I understand why he did it, and I know he changed. Suppose he had died while he was gone, said Draco. He stared off to the side as he walked. Who wouldn't have had a chance to... What I mean is, redemption is a privilege. It isn't fair. Who's to say my Aunt Bella wouldn't have turned out perfectly lovely in twenty years if circumstances had changed? Or... or Crab, for that instance. He cut himself off. I don't know, said Harry, slowly. It's complicated. But I love Ron, so I forgave him completely. Things don't always have to be fair to be right. His hands itched to touch the scars on Draco's face, but he kept them still. My art gallery only sells oil paintings, said Draco, conversationally. Oil, not acrylic. There's a difference. But it's actually not about the art. It's a wife factory. Every three months, one of my co-workers gets siphoned off by a billionaire art dealer. God, said Harry. Sounds terrible. Not at all. I go to a lot of glamorous weddings. Don't the billionaire art dealers ever tempt you? I dated one for a while. I thought, aren't you with Hugo still? asked Harry. Hugo? No. Draco shook his head, like a horse shaking off flies. Was he so bad? asked Harry. He wasn't the problem. Who was? I only ever went camping for the Quidditch World Cups, but to be honest, our tent was so luxurious that I doubt we really got the whole camping experience. So Harry let it go. Will you write back, if I write? asked Harry when they prepared to apparate back to London. Harry wasn't free for another three weeks. No, said Draco. Harry nodded, trying not to seem all weird and obsessive and disappointed. I'd text you, if you had a phone, said Draco. Here. He gave Harry a slip of paper with a phone number on it. Later, it occurred to Harry that he must have written his number on it earlier, must have put the slip of paper in his pocket in the hope that a moment would come when he could give it away. Harry? said Ron, incredulously, when Harry showed up at Weasley's Wizarding Weezers the next day on his lunch hour. He didn't usually take lunch, he just ate a sandwich at his desk. Hey, said Harry, hoping that if he spoke casually, Ron wouldn't make a big deal out of it. Do you sell those mobile phone things, the ones that work with magic? Uh, yeah, said Ron. But I don't have one, and neither does Hermione. That's fine, said Harry. Who are you planning on calling? Harry shrugged. Ron tried to hide his smile as he went to the stockroom and got Harry a phone. Here you go, mate. On the house, as usual. I've got the gold. George would kill me if he found out you'd paid for anything. He gave Harry the phone, showed him how to use it. She's a lucky girl, Harry, he said. Harry smiled awkwardly and fled. Harry texted Draco right away. Draco Malfoy? Harry Potter? How did you know it was me? Magic. You're a twat. I'm delighted we've found a new medium through which you can insult me. So it takes you 300 letters before you'll write back to me. But if I text you, you reply straight away. Draco's response came two days later. Would you prefer I play hard to get? You've made your point. How are you? Bored at work. In fact, aren't you at work? Yeah, I just... Yeah, no, I should go. You should. Think of all the Welshmen who might die through your negligence. Okay, not all the people murdered in Britain are Welsh. Art dealer just walked in. TTYL. Draco, wait. Wait. What's TTYL? Is it a code? Is it something he's wearing? The art dealer, I mean. Draco. TTYL. Talk to you later. It wasn't some weird sex thing. Calm down. I didn't think it was a weird sex thing. Good. Because it definitely wasn't. Now I think it was a weird sex thing. Winky face. What does that mean? 
Oh, sweet Harry, there is so much you do not know. It was easier to text than to meet up. It took less time, and so it made Harry less anxious. And actually, it was effortless, really, to send Draco a quick text in the morning, asking how he'd slept. And then at work, he often had five minutes here and there, where he could laugh at the ridiculous photos Draco sent him. There was a picture of a big wheelie bin, for instance. My next act. Wheel me on stage. Slowly disgorge all the trash within. Audience awaits with bated breath. When will the nudity begin, they wonder. Wheelie bin tips over, empty. Draco Malfoy is a trash person. That's funny, except you're not a trash person. The assembled bits of trash on the floor rise up as one. They form a trash monolith. Slowly, with its sexy trash face, trash Draco takes off one glove. The crowd goes wild. You know I'm trying to stop a gang of magical jewel thieves from cursing the crown jewels, right? You know that. I've told you before. My job is, like, really important. Steaming hot garbage Draco bursts into flames. No one's ever seen anything like it. This act would probably be great, DBH. Look at you, using abbreviations. I'm proud of you. It was past midnight. Harry texted Draco. You up? Yes. How may I be of service? Can I call you? Draco didn't answer for ten minutes. Harry stared at his phone the whole time. But finally Draco texted back. Sure. I don't get nightmares anymore, said Harry the instant Draco picked up. Oh, good, I was worried you'd beat around the bush. But sometimes I just lie in bed thinking of every stupid, awful thing I've ever done, and I just... They all come back to me in, like, this endless rush of of things I hate that I did, and I have work tomorrow, and I just want to be able to fucking shut it off, you know? What sort of thing? asked Draco. It was intimate to have his voice in Harry's ear. Just, you know, shit stuff, said Harry. There was a delicate pause. "'You can tell me if you want,' said Draco, and Harry suddenly knew what was making him so nervous. "'It's not the big things,' he said gently. "'I feel remorse for that, for the big things, all the time, but that's not what this is.' "'Oh,' said Draco, sounding relieved. "'It's stuff like, one time this little girl asked for my autograph,' And I was in such a bad mood, but I had blisters, but still, fuck, I was so rude. What did you say? asked Draco. I told her to get out of the way and barge past her. She cried, I think. I didn't stop. Draco laughed. You monster! All right, my turn. What? said Harry. When I first met Ursula, I very insistently tried to find out where her parents' second home was. She kept saying, no, they just live in a flat in Peckham. And I kept saying, yes, but where do they summer? Harry laughed. You didn't, he said. I did. Draco's voice went a little flat. She's never really liked me since then, fair enough. I think she likes you, said Harry. All right, what's next? Did you spit on a war veteran? Brawl with a pregnant woman in the streets? asked Draco. Harry told Draco every one of his cringing memories, and Draco laughed at each one in turn. They vanished, boggart-like, at the sound of his laughter. I feel better, said Harry an hour later. "'That'll be a hundred pounds, thank you very much,' said Draco. "'Thank you, Draco. "'Go to sleep, Harry. "'You've got important work to do.' "'I know. "'You're right. "'Thank you.' "'He could almost hear Draco rolling his eyes. "'Good night,' said Draco, and hung up. 
was part two of Can I Tell You Something, written and read by Gala Placidia. Tune in next week for part three. Don't forget to join my newsletter if you fancy at newsletter.gallopod.com. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And why not tell a friend who you think will like the show? I also have an Instagram at let them eat books with underscores instead of spaces, so please say hello on there. Thank you so much for listening. 